started, I'd like to uh, just make a, uh, a note for you in the bulletin. Uh, those of you especially involved in Rick Bassam uh, Connect Group, that does not start tonight. It starts January 17, correct? January 17. So take note of that and uh, we'll get you back on the right track with that Connect Group, okay? Very good. Um, if you have your Bible with you, I hope you do. If not, take one out of the pew in front of you. We're turning to the book of Luke, chapter 5. Luke, chapter 5. And uh, this is the first Sunday of the year. So, your, your outline has a, a fill-in-the-blank for the title. Okay? So, uh, this is the year of... Drum roll. Okay? A lot of times we want a subject matter that uh, is rather comfortable and, and uh, encouraging, exhorting, or whatever it might be. Uh, and so, we all like the idea of revival. This is the year of revival, okay? The year of revival. But when I say revival, a lot of things come to your mind. Um, that must mean we're going to have a big revival service every Sunday. And uh, we'll do uh, big lively music and big lively preaching and long this and, you know, whatever. All sorts of things come to mind when we think of a revival service. We'll set up a park uh, uh, out in the parking lot. We'll set up a tent and have a tent, a big tent revival. Um, and why is it that all of our thoughts associate and relate back to Things like the Big Tent Revival or really uh, a preacher up here in front of everyone stomping and yelling and screaming and sweating. I sweat. I know that. But <laughs> you know, the, the, the thing is, we associate revival with so many things we've seen, whether it's on TV or maybe it's something that you've been to in person. And I guess the question we have to ask is, what, what came of it? What came of said revival service? What really happened? And a lot of times, what it ends up being, a, a revival service ends up being somebody kind of stirring up the pot, and we stir up the emotions, and everyone's so excited about living for the Lord, and we head off, and a week later, what happens? It's like, what, what happened to the revival? And so, today and next week, we want to talk about this in, in two parts. Part one is today, um, about what really precedes revival. Do you want revival in your life? You don't have to raise your hand, but do you want revival in your life? And I hope everyone's going on inside in your mind saying, yeah, I need revival. There shouldn't be anyone in here who says, I don't need revival. The idea of revival is to draw you near to the Lord, drawing near to the Lord. And it doesn't have to be a big whoop-de-doo of, you know, prancing around and yelling and screaming or, or having long uh, whatever this or whatever. It doesn't have to be that at all. What we need to do is understand what the Bible says about revival. 
Now with that introduction, come back next week and hear about revival. What precedes revival is another word that we're uh, familiar with, but we don't practice it much. I say that risking uh, objections from people, but we don't practice repentance very much. We aren't very good at ongoing uh, with repentance. We like the idea of revival. Hey, yeah, let's have a revival. But when it comes to repentance, I would guess that most Christians, if a survey was taken, most Christians would say, well, I did that. I, I did that already. And yes, the scripture equates salvation and repentance together. Did you know that? Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord's not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. He doesn't say salvation. He says repentance. And still as a child, I remember, you know, cartoons of some old scruffy guy out in the streets holding up a sign, repent, like it's a, some joke. And yet, what did Jesus do in starting his ministry? What did Jesus call you to do? He started with repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. That's what John the Baptist did as a forerunner. He, he came to prepare the way of the Lord. And what did he say? Repent. And he say, hey, come on, Swenson. Can't you come up and can't you and the elders come up with something more positive for a, a theme for this year? Something that is more cozy for us or comfortable. How about something really clever? Anything, but, you know, something so kind of down and negative. But you know what, my friend? Repentance is one of the best things you can be doing. If you're saying you're a Christian, it's not just a one-time shot that you do. Oh, there I did it. I repented. No, it's an ongoing thing, and we're going to see that here this morning. So... We want to do this today and study uh, um, about repentance. And then next week, we'll consider the idea of revival and what that is about. Um, some of you were in the Sunday school class that we had this past uh, three months or so that was on what does the Bible say about revival? And so, um, uh, you know, we'll go over some of those things again next week. But what I think is important that we do... I'm assuming that most all of you, I'm not saying all of you, but most all of you profess faith in Christ and you, you walk with the Lord, you trust the Lord as your Savior and you want to honor Him and worship Him in your life. And so to talk about repentance, we need to start with number one in your outline, refocus on the Lord's mission. This is my problem and this is your problem, typically speaking, is that I get out of focus with what the Lord's mission truly is. And I can refocus to saying, well, it's about um, you liking us. Well, that's a good thing. But that's not the Lord's mission is that you, if you're a visitor, that you like us. Yes, we want you to like us, but that's not the priority. The priority is found in the mission statements of Jesus, right? 
And so if you're a regular attender here, that's what we need to be about. We have to be about what he says is his mission. If not, then we're all just little, you know, we're coming back to this idea that, hey, well, we just like it here. And it's, it's nice to be here. I like the people here. That's not the key. It's not the key that you maintain uh, an attendance record here. <laughs> you know, what's the key? The key is that you're alive in Christ. You, you've been born again and that you're growing in your faith and that you're holding to these, embracing these mission statements of Jesus. And so here in Luke chapter 5, it's, it's just amazing. If you'll just take time on your own to read through the gospel of Luke and let it sink in, it's amazing what we see here. Truly amazing. And really, that's the way it is with the word of God. Whenever we allow it to speak to our hearts, it does his work. He does his work through his word ministering in your heart in life. It brings about transformation. That's one of his, that's one of the goals is that we're transformed, made, conformed in the image of Christ more and more and more. Okay? No one has arrived at spiritual life and said, oh, well, look at them. They're way, way up the ladder. No one has arrived. If you're sitting here and you're 80 years old, you're still on this pathway of learning and growing. And we can't sit back and say, oh, I, 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 I already did that. You know, I, I'm there. I, I'm... No, no one can say that. And so we want to refocus on the Lord's mission. Now, I'm just going to give you a quick rundown here of chapter 5. Verses 1 through 11, Jesus calls his first disciples. Verses 12 through 16, he heals a leper. And... One of the things that stands out here, folks, that we ought to remember is we don't deal with leprosy like they did in that day and age. And no one, no one would touch a leper. And here's Jesus reaching out. Listen, reaching out and touching a leper. That was amazing. But what's more amazing is what? He healed the leper. Okay? So, in our our minds, we're thinking physical ailment, physical disease, terribly grotesque disease. But what is he really pointing at? Yes, this is a, a physical thing, and he healed him, but there's something far greater and then he turns around and later on he heals a, a paralytic, a man that's paralyzed. He, he heals that person. This is, again, this is God in the flesh doing his work to show that he, he's God. Okay? This wasn't a temporary healing, healing. This was a, the guy is healed. Healed of leprosy and healed of his paralysis. Then he calls Levi. Matthew. Look at chapter 5, starting at verse 27. After that, he went out and noticed a tax collector. It's very interesting that this is 
highlighted here like that. It's, it's specified tax collector, not just some guy out in the streets, a tax collector. And in God's estimation, here's maybe a parallel. Here's a, here's a leper. Here's a paralytic. Here's a tax collector. And he calls this man, Levi. He calls out to him. He said, follow me. And he left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. And Levi, Matthew, gave a big reception for him in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So we understand that here's a beautiful picture of repentance or let's say just faith and repentance. Here's, here's Levi, Matthew, responding the way people ought to respond to the call of Jesus. This wasn't Matthew's idea, was it? This is Jesus calling him and Matthew responding the way he should. What does it say he did? <clears throat> Verse 28, he left everything behind. He left his... Really, what we're left to think here is he left his career. He left being a tax collector. He left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. And see, my friend, it's, it's just really basic stuff here, isn't it? It's not anything, you know, deep and profound, yet it is deep and profound in that he got up and followed him and that is the lesson There's a lesson for us. You and I say we're believers. Okay? Are there things that we've held on to that we need to release and let go of? Let's let's follow this example. You know, he got up and left everything. Now, I'm not suggesting in our day and age that you... You know, uh, you have to leave whatever you're doing. You leave your, uh, your employment or whatever. I, that's not the point. The point rather is that is Christ in charge of your employment? Is Christ in charge of your bank account? Is Christ in charge of home? Free time? Is he, is he Lord? And that's what Matthew gives us here. It's a great example. And then he brings about a, a celebration. Here's the gathering, letter A. It was Matthew's doing. He prepared a feast like a big party for his friends to introduce them to Jesus. It was about what Jesus had done. He was excited. He gave a big reception. Let's just call it what we know it to be. Here's a big party. This is a party. This is a time of celebration. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors and others who were reclining at table with them. Listen, when it says reclining at table with them, you know what? That's, that's a, uh, an Easter, a far Eastern kind of a idea and concept. 
we're welcoming each other when we recline at table. We're welcoming each other. We're loving on each other. Okay? We're glad to be with each other. This is important, Christian. Okay? It's very important for us to understand because we want to track along with what Jesus is doing. So here's this big gathering. It's great celebration. And here's this time where they're together reclining at table. But the Pharisees and the scribes began grumbling at his disciples. Interesting. Why, why don't they go to talk to Jesus about it? Maybe they weren't invited or something. I kind of doubt that they were invited. Maybe they were outside and the disciples were outside. I don't know. We don't know. But inside, here are the tax collectors and others. Well, do you know what the others might mean here? I know there's speculation here. We, we don't know. But when you have tax collectors having a party, guess who else is there? Well, others that are despised and rejected, you know, looked down upon by the religious experts, right? Let this sink in, my friend. There's important things here for us to, to recognize and to learn. But they complained. They grumbled about it. Um, here's the thing. The Pharisees and scribes had dedicated themselves. They had devoted themselves to what? To God. They were devoted to righteous living. To their religion, Judaism. They kept the law, the ceremonial law. They, they had the right diet. They obeyed you know, the Sabbath laws. All that. Well, you and I really, I think we understand what comes with that territory, don't we? That's why we know in our minds, well, those guys are Pharisees. Okay? But what I'm getting at here is that for us as a church, as an individual Christian and as a church congregation, let's beware of this problem Let's be on the lookout for this and be alert about it because we are the ones who uh, study the Bible, right? We better be studying the Bible. We better be concerned about right living, holy living, right? Right? Yeah? All of us? Yeah? Okay. And yet at the same time, what? Am I a friend of sinners like Jesus? Are you a friend of sinners like Jesus? That's a great challenge. They knew. The Pharisees knew. They were the chosen ones. They knew they were to be separate from sinners. The Gentiles, right? All that. So they were really... What, what are they opposed to here? Think about this. It doesn't tell us in the text, but what they're opposed to is this grace that's being shown. This love that's being shown to these people. Okay? Then, letter C, under number one, there's the call. Jesus' response to what they had said was profound. It's very basic also. Very, just it, It's so amazing how he could take something and say it in such a simple way. Look at it. In verse 31... And Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who are well who need a physician. Okay? They have no need of a doctor. 
those who are well, you know, what is he getting at here? And if, if we are Pharisees and we hear him say this, it's like if we know the scriptures, we ought to come across something in our minds that says, hey, but there's no one righteous. No, not one. And yet they miss that. They missed it. So Jesus is pointing this out. Those who are well have no need of a physician. You Pharisees and scribes, you see yourselves as fine, as good, and no need of a physician for your soul. They thought they were pretty healthy. But Jesus goes on to say what? But those who are sick. Those who are sick. Obviously, Levi, Matthew, knew he was sick. Spiritually speaking, he knew. Otherwise, he wouldn't have left. Why? He's already been committed to being an outcast and despised by the the community of people. He's working for the Romans to collect taxes. People hate him. But he knew he was sick and needed Jesus. And what he demonstrated when he left everything to follow Jesus, again, there's faith and repentance. Faith and repentance. As I said, he worked for the Romans, um, you know, collecting taxes. The tax collectors were hated and despised in Jewish culture. They were traitorous people. If we were to say, so-and-so in Washington, D.C., or so-and-so in Carson City, Nevada, they're a traitor. Well, we've got that thought in our mind. Some of us have that thought in our minds about certain people. They're, they might as well be, just be traitors. We, and we despise them. And yet here's Matthew, who's called by Jesus to follow him. Can you imagine being Peter or John, one of the fishermen? You're struggling to make it, right? And now here's a tax collector. What's going on, Jesus? How? He, he, no, no, not him. Come on. It just, again, shows the, the amazing way of our Savior. I'm sure people said that about Saul of Tarsus, right? Same, same kind of thing. No, not, not, not him. And so, those who are sick. So Jesus then makes it crystal clear in the next verse. Look at it. Verse 32. I have not come. I have not come. I, I'm connecting myself to being the physician. I'm the doctor. I have not come to call the righteous. It's about his call first and foremost. His call. And my friend, the Bible declares his call. And somewhere along the line, you all have heard his call upon your life. Many of you have responded to his call. Many, some of you may have not yet responded to his call. He says, 
I have not come to call those who think they have it together. I've not come to call those who are well, who are righteous. And what we need to insert here, my friend, is when we hear Jesus, when we read of what he says, I've not come to call the righteous. He's not saying that those Pharisees have gotten 100% on the, on the test. He's using sarcasm. Okay? Because why? The Bible's already declared it. There's no one righteous. No, not one. And they think they're righteous. That group over there, those Pharisees, those scribes, they think they're righteous. I've not come to call the righteous. And let's call them the unrighteous righteous. The unrighteous righteous. And I know for, you know, students, young children, and they're still in here. You know, you get in your mind that so-and-so um, is really, you know, accomplished or whatever, really spiritual, squeaky clean and all that. They're a sinner. And hopefully they're not just a good person. Hopefully they're saved by grace. Okay? And they're living for the Lord. No one is righteous. No, not one. Okay? And so we need to have that understanding about what Jesus is saying here. I've not come to call the righteous, but I have come to call the sinners. Right? Let's say they're the unrighteous sinners. (laughs) To help us understand here. He's saying, I've not come to call these. I've come to call those who know they are sick in need of a physician. All right. And what does he call them to do? To join his club? To join um, and be another number in the following after Jesus? What did he call them to do? Repent. I've called them to repentance. Okay. What is repentance? Okay. Um, a lot of times we go with the word and we def- we break the word up and we say repentance means a change of mind and we leave it at that. But repentance is more than a change of mind. It's a change of mind that leads to what? A change in behavior, a change in your conduct, a change in your lifestyle. And we've got examples of this, right? Here's one with Levi, Matthew. Another one is the prodigal son. The prodigal son went and spent his father, his inheritance of his father. And what did he do? He wakes up in the pigsty, you know, and it's a mess. And he comes to his senses. And he, we could say, well, he's thought this through. Is that all he did? He just sat there and figured out, boy, why did I hang out with those pigs? And he sat there and analyzed it. Let's think of that. (laughs) He didn't think after that. What did he do? He got up and went. Where? He went back to his father. Hello? Repentance. Recognizing it. Turning from it. And not just staying away, but turning and going to his father. And this is, again, Luke 15 is one of the most beautiful stories in the Bible, my friend. 
the father comes running to him when he sees him. The love of God. So, Jesus has called. The physician of your soul calls to those who know they are sinners. Do you know you're a sinner? Do you know that? We all use that language say, well, yeah, we're, none of us are perfect. Okay. So, now what? Do we just say, oh, you know, and it's fine, just, just let's live with that. No one's perfect. Shrug your shoulders and keep smiling and keep whatever. No, he, he wants to call you to repentance turning you from your own self and your own sin and going after, coming back to Him, coming to Jesus, right? And it's clear that Jesus is referring to not just being, well, no one's perfect thinking. He's referring to your heart condition being diseased with sin, Not just a little stain up in the corner or a little spot over here. No, you're diseased with sin. And see, this is why I mentioned at the start. It's like, wait a minute. Why don't we talk about something more positive and encouraging? I don't want to neglect this, my friend. I don't want to neglect this topic and this area. This is something that I believe, the elders believe, this is what we want to carry on with through the year. This kind of an emphasis, this kind of a thinking that we need to understand, yes, I have sin in my life and it doesn't come and go. I battle with sin in my life every day. Do you? Yeah. And it's not necessarily the big bank robbery or the murder or adultery. or No, it's in little ways. It's sin. Just keeps wanting to take over the throne of my life. And I struggle with it. And you and I, you know, together, individually speaking, we, we struggle with it. Just the thing of, of lack of faith. Many people say, oh, that's just, you know, that, that's, a, that's not that big of a deal. Come on, really? Yeah, Jesus pointed that out to his disciples time and time again. Oh, you have little faith. Where is your faith? It demonstrates my sin nature. I want to trust in myself more than I do the Lord. I want to trust in my wife more than I do the Lord or my children more. All those things. And it's clear that Jesus is referring to our sinful condition. It's our heart. The heart is deceitfully wicked. And we live in a, in a community where it's like, everyone's a nice guy. What's the matter with you? And yeah, we do. We have a, a community that has a, a, lots of wonderful people in it. But we're missing the mark in saying, well, they're, they're a nice guy. You know, God ought to let them into heaven. That's not what God says in His Word. It's not based on my standard or your standard of measuring people. It's based on what God says. 
And that's why we need a substitute. That's why we need Jesus and his righteousness, perfect righteousness, credited to my account and your account. It's a heart condition that no one can fix except for Jesus. He's the doctor, right? He knows. And this is why I say, folks, there's um, this attitude that we say, well, I already repented of my sin. I was at camp or I was at a church meeting and I repented of my sin. I already did that. No, this is why we need to continue on in the practice of repentance because I need to see the doctor this week. Did you know that? I need to see him this week. You need to see him this week in this regard. And not just once a week, daily, regularly. And why is it that I can be arrogant and proud thinking, I don't need to go see the doctor, I'm fine. Guys at my age, <laughs> that's what we say, right? Guys at my age, come on, help me out here. You, you, you treat it like, hey, I don't need to see the doctor, I'm fine. I'm healthy. I feel good. I walk one lap around the park each day. I don't go to CrossFit anymore, though. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a year ago I was saying I was at CrossFit so I didn't last very long but I still think in my mind I'm fine health wise and I can think that way spiritually also I'm, I'm okay I, I work at a wonderful church I'm fine and see that's the time where I get I get myself tripped up and I think I'm fine, leads to pride. I don't need the Lord, really. I, I mean, I, I've got the Lord, but sure, I've got the Lord. But am I trusting in Him and, and walking with Him and confessing to Him my sin and my need? So Levi demonstrates the proper kind of response. We mentioned that. Okay, prodigal son. Also, Zacchaeus. You study about Zacchaeus in Luke 19. He responds in a proper way. Okay. So those who are following Jesus, repentance means remaining continually necessary in my life. It's not something I push off and say, I don't need to do that anymore. I need to continue that. Why? For a walk with the Lord that's close, not distant. For fellowship that's intimate rather than distant. You know, why did he save you? Just to give you uh, a ticket to heaven and say, hey, I'll see you when you get to heaven. You live however you want to live. No, he didn't do that. He saved you so that you might become holy and righteous in your practice. Right? Romans 7 talks about the, the struggle, the battle that we have with the flesh. The flesh and the, the spirit. You know, and this is an ongoing struggle. And Paul comes forth saying, but thanks be to God who brings us the victory in Christ. And then Romans 8, therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we, we want to have grace reign in our hearts and lives, not sin. So I, I be on the lookout for this in my life. And we learn from Jesus what we learn from Jesus in this story in Luke 5. Stay with me on this. 
It's critically important in relating to his missionary, in his mission of calling sinners and of connecting with sinners. I came from a college, um, you know, a lot of, some of us went there, LA Baptist College back in the day was very strong on separation. Don't you go out with those sinners kind of thinking. You, you don't want anything to do with sinners because they just need to come to faith in Christ and you need to preach at them. Yes, okay, we get that. But there's a problem in our chemistry, okay? There's a problem in our chemistry because we're not tracking really with what we learn about Jesus in being a friend of sinners. Here's the tendency that we have as believers, okay? A tendency that we have as believers... And can you relate to this? Number one, when we see Luke writing about Matthew's party, Jesus is hanging out with sinners, right? But here's what we learn and start developing their minds. Don't hang out with sinners. Sometimes we go, don't hang out with sinners and don't call them to repentance because they're sinners. They won't listen anyway. All sorts of thoughts come to mind. So that's a tendency. A second tendency. Don't hang out with sinners, but let's call them to repentance. That sounds good, doesn't it? Hang out. Don't hang out with sinners, but call them to repentance. Jesus didn't do that. Okay? He didn't do that. A third one. We hang out with sinners, but we don't call them to repentance. And what happens there? Well, a mixed message. And then a fourth one. We hang out with sinners and we call them to repentance, but we still engage or indulge in the common sinful behavior patterns that they're involved in. You follow me there? I can hang out with sinners. I can say, and you need to, you know, repent and, and trust in Christ. But then I'm, I'm active with them in what they're doing and how they're living. Where's the difference? Where's the difference in my life if, if that's what I'm doing? And so we come back to what Jesus did. And that's what we want to see, right? In this passage, we want to see what is it that Jesus did? He hung out with sinners. He was accused of that by the Pharisees and scribes. He was accused of that. But he called them to repentance. And he didn't involve himself. He, he, he went through all sorts of temptations, like as we, yet without sin. And so he called these sinners to repentance. Now, some of the terms that we use, when we use them here, it's like we're saying, well, sinners, hanging out with sinners. And it's, I don't want you or me, any one of us thinking that um, when we point at sinners, we're not a part of that. I'm a sinner. People out at the bar they're sinners. People out at Walmart, they're sinners. People out at wherever, they're sinners. The, the, the simple difference is, are you cleansed and forgiven of your sin? Have you been redeemed? Have you been forgiven? 
Jesus calls sinners to repentance. And that's what we want to... That's what we must join in with, folks. This year, being alert to... Um, not, not treating your neighbor like he's some uh, outcast, like a tax collector. Getting to know our neighbors more. You being like Jesus. Becoming a friend to the sinners without getting involved in that practice of sin that they might be a part of. But being a part, Why? So you can notch up another number of, of, of a conversion? Think of that. No, it's not so that I can get another conversion on my list. No, it's so that God would do His work in that person's life. Maybe it's through me. Maybe it's through you. As we minister to people who we would say are sinners. They are sinners. Parkside Bible Fellowship has sinners here. And my concern here for us right here in this room is, are you forgiven? Are you washed of your sins? Have you come to faith in Christ? Have you been made right with God the Father through faith in Jesus? That's what we're called to do. It's call people to reconciliation. And Christian, as we... Uh, Consider this first part. Are, are you, am I, practicing repentance and ready to do that? Not to continue, not to just say, oh, um, please forgive me, and walking along with that practice. There's a couple of things wrong with that. Number one, please forgive me. If you're a Christian, you're already, you're already forgiven. Is His work on the cross not perfect for you? It's, it is perfect, isn't it? He cried out, it is finished. It's a perfect work. So, I don't cry out, oh, please forgive me. I cry out, oh God, I confess my sin to you. I confess it. And what does that word mean? All it means is I'm agreeing with you, God. I agree with what you've already said, that I've sinned. And you know it, God, but now I'm telling you, not that you needed to know, but I'm, I'm confessing it to you because I want to maintain a right walk with you. Sin does not, if, if you're a believer, sin does not break your relationship with God because you are a child of God. What it does is it breaks your fellowship with him. So some of you have no relation with God. You can't call him father. You can't call out to him as Abba father because there's no relationship. There's no response to the call of Jesus to repent. And those of us who are believers, we need to understand I'm a child of God. I need to talk to him as God, my father and walk close to him in my life. And these are the kind of things, my friend, that just get kind of pushed along, past, uh, pushed under the, the carpet, and let's not, let's not deal with this. It's too, it gets to be too negative. I'm telling you, when you and I practice repentance from our sin and turn from that practice, turn from it, 
there's going to be growth and blessing that he continues to pour out to you that you'll now see more clearly. Okay. So that's, we're going to leave it right there. We're not going to bother with the, the back of your outline for today. Um, it's very important that we let this passage sink in. Jesus has called to you, follow me. And like Matthew, let's get up, leave what we have, and go follow him and understand his call, his mission call. It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Heavenly Father, as we think on these truths, guide us by your Spirit, Lord. Lord, and now as we shift gears to uh, the Lord's Supper, help us, dear Lord, to turn things over to you here to confess our sins, to confess our need, and to take these elements out of a grateful heart for what you've done for us. You are so good and you spoke with great authority. Lord, we are people who thank you and praise you for our forgiveness of our sins, but we also thank you that you are the physician of our souls and please continue your good work to make us strong and healthy believers we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.